today we're going to explore the idea of embodying God's healing touch in the world by sharing our love. That Christ love that stirs within each of us. Contemplate this for a moment. You are an expression of God. The great giver of life. The force of creativity and energy that is, as Ernest Holmes would say, back of all things. It is your highest truth to be a giver to life. Not in an obligatory way, but because it is your divine nature to give. Now, I know this message of giving is redundant. Month after month, year after year, we say this same concept, but there's a reason for it. It is vitally important to experiencing your greatest good in this human experience we call life. In fact, there's a story about giving which I thought you guys might like. Two men were marooned on an island. One of the men was pacing back and forth ceaselessly, worried and scared, while the other man sat back and enjoyed the sun as though he were on a beach. The first man asked the second man, aren't you afraid we're going to die out here all alone? No, said the second man. I make $100,000 every week. And I faithfully tithe 10% to my church every week. My pastor will find me. (laughs) On page 440 of the Science of Mind, Ernest Holmes said, When our thoughts rest entirely upon ourselves, we become abnormal and unhappy. But when we give of ourselves with enthusiasm to any legitimate purpose, losing ourselves in the thing which we are doing, we become normal and happy. Let those who are sad, depressed, or unhappy find some altruistic purpose into which they may pour their whole being and they will find a new inflow of life of which they have never dreamed. Or as renowned polymath Albert Schweitzer once said, polymath is somebody who knows a whole lot about a whole lot of topics. He said, the ones among you who will be really happy are those who will have sought and found how to serve. Why? Because as I already said, it is our divine nature to give. We are creations of the infinite giver. We were born to give. We share our healing touch with others when we do. Now to be clear about what I mean by our gifts to others, I want to share a passage from the Bible. It's the story of a lame beggar beggar who asked alms of Peter and John as they were going into the gate of the temple. Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I unto thee. Arise and walk. And the man picked up his bed and walked. Such as I have, I give unto thee. Those words are the key. Today we're talking about sharing of what you have. Sharing your beautiful, wonderful, awe-inspiring self. There's a Sufi teaching which says, past the seeker as he prayed came the crippled and the beggar and the beaten. 
And seeing them, he cried, great God, how is it that a loving creator can see such things and yet do nothing about them? God said, I did do something. I made you. We are here to help others. Who are here to help others? Who are here to help others? We are in an infinite circle of giving. And as a direct result, receiving. And we receive more and more as we give more and more. The entire universe operates through dynamic exchange, giving and receiving. They're just different aspects of the flow of energy in the universe. And in our conscious choice to practice tireless willingness to give, we keep that abundance of the universe circulating and growing throughout our lives. In the Science of Mind, also on page 40, Ernest Holmes wrote, when the law of circulation is retarded, that means slowed down, stagnation results. It is only as we allow the divine current to flow through us on and out that we really express life. The law of giving and receiving is definite. Emerson tells us to beware of holding too much good in our hands. St. Paul reminds us that we are at our best when we feel the freedom of giving from a deep sense of abundance. In his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 9, verses 6 through 8, he writes, and you've heard this a moment ago, but remember this, he who sows sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he who sows generously shall reap also generously. So let every man give according to what he has decided in his mind, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance so that you may always have enough of everything and may provide in abundance for every good work. In Tibetan Buddhism, it's said that there are three ways of practicing generosity. The first is giving material things, giving that which is necessary only as it becomes necessary. This isn't meant to be observed as giving out of obligation or selfish reluctance, but it, rather it points to the importance of one's motivation. This material giving should be selfless, and without ulterior motives, free from emotional ties to objects and physical resources, and free from outside pressure, fear of poverty, and any intention to harm. You're not withholding and only giving what's necessary. You are seeing a need and filling the need. Entirely different ways to look at it. The second way is giving loving protection. This can be interpreted many ways, but to give you the broad strokes idea behind this form of giving, it speaks to support and compassion and guidance and compassionate care. It is to guide and guard others through their struggles to help them stand. And the third way of giving is giving ultimate understanding. To sum that all up for our purposes today, that means promoting peace and joy and wisdom, and compassion, and love, both internally and externally, in all we think, say, do, and act upon. It is to fully stoke that inner Christ light 
and so illuminate the world by sharing our Christ's love in truth. And I'll tell you now that this talk was entirely different when I sat down to do my final edit yesterday morning, and that's because I found a story, a true story, and it perfectly illustrates the point I was trying to make. But in my opinion, it does it in a much more entertaining way. Hearing someone tell a story is much more entertaining than listening to a lecture, right? And we don't get read to very often these days. I will tell you, I spent most of the day trying to condense this, but it's a good one. It is a vivid example of one man's effortless embodiment of all three of those types of giving. His name is Jay Frankston, and he says, As a child, like many children, I dreamed of all things Christmas. But here's the thing. I'm Jewish. We didn't celebrate Christmas. It was everyone else's holiday, and I felt left out. Like a big party I wasn't and never would be invited to. But it wasn't the toys I longed for. It was the lights the tree, and especially Santa Claus. So when I got married and had kids of my own, I decided to make up for all those unfulfilled dreams of my youth. I started with a seven-foot-tall tree, all decked out with lights and tinsel, and with a Star of David on top to soothe those family members whose feathers might be ruffled by the Christmas-esque display. And for them, we called it a Hanukkah bush. And it warmed my heart to see the glitter because now that long-awaited party was at my house and everyone was invited. But something was missing. Something big and round and jolly with jingle bells and a ho-ho-ho. So I bought a bolt of red fabric and strips of white fur and my wife made a costume. Pillows rounded out my skinny frame, but... No amount of makeup could turn my face into merry old Santa. I watched department store Santa impersonators sit on their thrones with children on their laps and flashbulbs going off, and I wasn't satisfied with how they looked either. After much effort, I located a mask maker who had just the thing for me, a rubberized Santa mask complete with whiskers and flowing white hair. It wasn't the real thing, but it looked genuine enough to live up to a child's dream of St. Nick. And when I tried it on, something happened. I looked in the mirror, and there he was, big as life, the Santa of my childhood dreams. There he was, and he was me. I felt like Santa, like I became Santa. My posture changed. I leaned back and pushed out my pillowed stomach. My head tilted to the side and my voice got deeper and richer as I called out, Merry Christmas, everyone! For two years, I played Santa for my children to their mixed feelings of fright and delight. And to my total enjoyment. And when the third year rolled around, that magical Santa in me had grown a personality of his own. And he needed more room than I'd given him. So I decided to accommodate him by letting him do things for other kids. I called up foster care agencies and children's hospitals and offered my services for free. But we don't need Santa. We have all sorts of donations from foundations. And thank you for calling 
And so that Santa in me began to feel rather useless. Then, one late November afternoon, I went to the mailbox on the corner of the street to mail a letter. And I saw a little girl trying to reach for the slot. Mommy, are you sure Santa will get my letter, she asked. Well, you addressed it to Santa Claus, North Pole, so he should get it. Her mother said, lifting her so she could stuff the letter into the box. And my inner Santa cried, Eureka, as my mind began to whirl. Whatever became of those thousands of letters children wrote to Santa Claus at Christmas time. So with a ho, ho, ho and a spring in our step, Santa and I headed straight to the post office. I explained my mission and, a la Mission Impossible, they chose to accept it. And only a few minutes later, there they were. Hundreds of letters addressed to Santa or St. Nick or Kris Kringle. And I rummaged through them and laughed. Most of them were want lists. Many of them had a price alongside each item, with or without sales tax. And then there were the funny ones like, Dear Santa, I've been good all year. But if I don't get what I want, I'll be bad next year. But it soon felt a little daunting, all of the gimme, gimme, gimmies. But that hopeful Santa in me continued going through the letters one after the other until I came upon one which changed my life. It was neatly written on plain white paper and it said, Dear Santa, I hope you get my letter. I'm 10 years old and we just moved to this country a few months ago. I don't have any friends yet. I know you're busy and have a lot of kids to visit, so I'm not asking you to come to my house or bring me anything, but could you send me a letter so that I know you exist? Sincerely, Peter Barsky. Yes, I'm trying not to cry. (laughs) The Santa in me cried, I hear you, Peter, I hear you, and I dug deeper in those sacks and came up with eight more letters, all of them calling out from the depths of poverty and loss. Dear Santa, I'm 11 years old, and I have two little brothers and a baby sister. My father died last year, and my mother is sick. I know you're very busy, but could you please send us a blanket, because Mommy's cold at night. Love, Susie. I scooped up those letters and went straight to the nearest Western Union and sent each child a good old-fashioned telegram to Peter Bansky, Dear Peter, not only do I exist, but I'll be at your house on Christmas Day. Wait for me, Santa. To the others, simply, I got your letter. I'll be at your house on Christmas Day. Wait for me, Santa. So I budgeted a sum of money, and I went out and did what I could to answer those kids' wishes. And not only that, I bought toys. Not the dollar store kind. I wanted something substantial, like a toy train or a microscope or one of the many cool new toys advertised on TV. And on Christmas Day, I took out my sleigh and let Santa do his thing. Actually, it was a car, and my wife drove me around because with all of the pillows in my suit, the toys filling every open space, I barely managed to fit in the back seat. When we spotted little Peter Bansky's house, we drove past and parked around the corner. Then Santa got out with his bag of toys slung over his shoulder and tramped through the generous snow. The small, dilapidated house was wedged between two tall buildings. 
I walked through the gate up the front steps and rang the bell. A man opened the door. Boże moi, he exclaimed in astonishment. That's Polish for my God. Then he stuttered, please, uh, please, de boy, at mass, church, I go get him, please, please wait. And he quickly threw a threadbare coat over his hunched shoulders and hurried away. I turned to set down my sack and prepared to wait when I noticed that in the window of a similarly ramshackle little house on the opposite side of the street, I could see several wide-eyed little faces peering at me and waving. And then the door opened shyly and small voices called out, Hi, Santa! Hi! And so I ho-ho-hoed my way over there. A woman came forward and invited me in. There were five kids from one to seven years old. And as I sat and spoke to them of Santa and the spirit of love, which is the true spirit of Christmas, I noticed the shreds of wrapping paper littering the floor. And so I asked if they liked what Santa had brought them during the night, and each in turn thanked me for the woolen socks, the sweater, the warm new underwear. I looked at them and asked, didn't I bring you kids any toys? And when they shook their heads sadly, ho, 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 I slipped up, I said. We'll have to fix that. I told them to wait. I'd be right back, and I trudged through the snow and around the corner. And as soon as I was out of their sight, I ran as fast as I could to the car. We had another sack and extra toys in the trunk. So my wife quickly filled up the bag, and I trotted back to the house to give a brand new toy to each of the children. The house filled with joy and laughter. And then I noticed that the beautiful little five-year-old was crying. I bent down and asked her, What's the matter, little one? And she hiccuped, Oh, Santa, I'm just so happy. And my own eyes began to fill beneath the rubber mask. From outside, I heard a man's voice call, Pan, Pan Proje, sir, please come. And so I did. The boy, Peter, just stood there, slack-jawed, and looked at me. You came, he said. I wrote, and you came. He turned to his parents. I wrote, and he came. He repeated it over and over. And when he recovered, we talked about loneliness and friendship. And I gave him a chemistry set and a basketball, and he thanked me profusely. As I began to leave, I heard his mother ask her husband a question in Polish. My grandparents were Polish, so I speak a little and understand a lot. From the North Pole, I answered in Polish. She looked at me in astonishment. You speak Polish? she asked. Of course, I said. Santa speaks all languages. And I left them in joy and wonder. I did this for 12 years, going through the letters to Santa at the post office, listening for the cries of children muffled in unopened envelopes. In time, I learned all that Santa has to know to handle any situation. Like the big kid who would stop Santa on the street and ask, Hey, Santa, where's your sleigh? And I'd say, How old are you, son? He'd say, Thirteen. And I'd say, Well, you're a big fella. 
And you ought to know better. Santa used to come in a sleigh many years ago, but these are modern times. I come in a car now, and I'd hop in the back seat, and my wife would drive off. Or the kid who would look at me appraisingly and come out with, that's a mask, pointing a finger. One should never lie to children. So I'd say, of course it is. If everybody knew what Santa really looks like, they bother me all year long and I couldn't get things ready for Christmas. Or the mother who would whisper to her so her young son wouldn't hear, where do you come from? I'd turn to the child and say, your mom wants to know where I come from, Willie. And he'd say, from the North Pole, Mommy, with absolute certainty. And she'd nudge me and whisper, no, you don't understand. Who sent you? I mean, how did you know to come to this house? I'd turn to the boy and say, hey, Willie, your mom wants to know why I came to see you. And he'd say, because I wrote him a letter, Mommy. And I'd pull out the letter. And she knows she mailed it. So she is confused and bewildered. And I leave her like that. As time went on, the word got out about Santa Claus and me. And I insisted on anonymity, but toy manufacturers would send me huge cartons of toys as a contribution to the Christmas spirit. So it started with those first nine children. And I wound up with 120 a year door to door, from one end of the city to the other, from early Christmas Eve through late Christmas Day. On my last call a number of years ago was a home with four children, and I came prepared. The house was small and sparsely furnished. The kids had been waiting all day, checking and rechecking the telegram and repeating to their skeptical mom, he'll come. I know he'll come. And as I rang the doorbell, the house lit up with joy and laughter and cries of, he's here, he's here. And the door swings open and they reach for my hands, holding on tight. And these kids are all beaming with happiness. I take each one of them on my lap and speak to them of rainbows and snowflakes and magic being real and tell them stories of hope and waiting and give each of them a toy. And all the while, there's this fifth child quietly standing off to the side, a cute little girl with blonde hair and blue eyes. And when I'm through with the others, I turn to her and say, You weren't supposed to be here today, were you? She shakes her head and whispers, They're my new foster family. Beckoning her closer, I ask, What's your name? Lisa, came her reply. How old are you? Seven. Come, sit on my lap. And she hesitates for a moment, but shyly comes over to sit. Did you get any toys for Christmas, I ask? No, she says, her eyes downcast. So I reach into my bag and take out this big, beautiful doll and say, Here, do you want this beautiful doll? I think she needs a special family, too. No, she says. And she leans over to me and whispers in my ear, I'm Jewish. I nudge her. And whisper in her ear, I'm Jewish too. So do you want the doll? 
And she's grinning from ear to ear and nods, reaching out to take her into her arms. It's been a long time since I last put my Santa suit on, but I feel that Santa has lived within me and given me a great deal of happiness all those years. And now, when Christmas rolls around, he only comes out of hiding long enough to call out, Ho, ho, ho! A Merry Christmas to you! Jay Frankston was the embodiment of light. Truly and really demonstrating that love is God's healing touch in a huge and magical way. Marianne Williamson, in her book, Return to Love, wrote, In every community there is work to be done. In every nation there are wounds to heal, and in every heart there is the power to do it. In every one of our hearts there is the power to do it. The question is, how will yours show up in the world? I look forward to hearing your story. Thank you.